Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Stayed on side. The late man Matthews. Great move. What a goal. Beauty. Austin Matthews. Matthews flipped it up for Marner. Mitch Marner centering. Hyman to the net. Scores. He took fast down and his shot trapped him in the corner of the ring. All right, here we go. Episode 37 of Not Another Leafs podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network at Kent Stapon, at B McCarthy 95, at Leafs Pod, at Hockey Pod Net. And a reminder that this podcast is brought to you by DraftKings. Basketball teams are entering the final month of the regular season as they gear up for the playoffs. And while some teams are locked to make the playoffs, others are still fighting for their opportunity to chase the Larry O'Brien Trophy this summer, a la the Raptors. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting you in the center of the action with the chance to turn $1 into $100 in free bets. Turning $1 into $100 is simple. Pick any basketball basketball team to win their next game and if during that game the team of your choosing hits a three you bring home $100 in free bets that's 100 to 1 odds on the team of your choosing hitting a three they don't even need to win the game that's basically a lock this year's teams have been hitting threes at an unprecedented pace so get in on all the action on DraftKings Sportsbook before this offer ends DraftKings is safe secure and reliable so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience What do we want you to do? Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free bets if the basketball team of your choosing hits a three. That's promo code THPN to turn $1 into $100 in free bets for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 years or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Don't look now, but the Toronto Maple Leafs, Slave Nation, have the most points in the NHL. That's right. They are in first place with 57, a record of 27-10-3 on the season after beating Montreal last night. And we are happy to be joined by friend of the show and analyst at Maple Leaf Hot Stove, Ian Tullock, for today's episode at Ian Graffs. Ian, welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, glad to be back. How are you guys doing today? Oh, man, doing great after that win. I know uh, BMAC was all horned up last night <laughs> watching uh, the Leafs knock off the Canadians. Okay, so we have to let Ian know first. I missed the last episode that we dropped Monday, Ian. I had a, It was a healthy scratch for me. But, Ken, I'm going to call you out because I took a listen to the episode on the ride home. And I don't know how you can remember Bo Horvat's birthday, who recently turned 26. But you forget mine, which was two weeks ago. I was uh, a tad offended, Kenny. I won't lie. I've been known to forget people's birthdays in the past. The funny thing is, I think I wish you like a happy prior to birthday. where you're discussing that it was coming up. And then I just completely disregarded it. So apologies and happy belated. Uh, how many how many years young are you now? Was that your 26th, 27th? 26th, Patrick Elias year. Yeah, that's right, Patrick Elias. Well, congratulations on staying alive over the weekend. In, uh, where, where's your college at? Thunder like, Beach, north of Barrie. It's beautiful. Thunder Beach. It's beautiful today. Got to enjoy the nice weather while we have the chance. Man, I don't know about you guys, but I've been so impressed 
by Jack Campbell's play this season. And he just continues to build on the positive momentum from the beginning of the season to now, where he's now setting, you know, Toronto Maple Leafs record records for the most wins in a row by a goaltender. Ian, this has been so impressive to watch. And although his goaltending style can be a little bit unorthodox at times, it doesn't seem to matter because he's getting the W's. Yeah, 10 games into the season, he's at a 944 save percentage. That's pretty ridiculous. I, I saw someone tweet out the other night, how many games does he need to start before he starts getting a Vesna consideration? And I thought it was a joke <laughs> at first when I saw it. But yeah. the, the fact is, when you look at any of the analytics, if you look at the goals saved above expected, he actually leads the NHL right now. If you look at it on a per, uh, per 60 minute basis, just based on how many games he's played versus how many pucks he's stopping versus what he's expected to stop. It's it's truly, I don't want to say unprecedented, but it's totally unsustainable what he's doing right now. I think we all realize that he's not going to finish the season with a 944. If he plays league average the rest of the way, I think you're probably happy, even if it dips down into 910, 920 range. The biggest thing is that it's providing stability between the pipes. And we know as well as anyone that goaltending can be voodoo. That if you pay a ton of money for a goaltender, just look at the Montreal Canadiens. You usually don't end up too happy with it. So it's good to have guys like a Jack Campbell who can come in and all of a sudden, wow, now you have someone who can stop pucks for you. Goaltending so crazy because it's the position that matters the most in terms of dictating the outcome of the game. But it's also the position in sports right now that's the most difficult to predict. So where does that leave you as an organization? How, how many resources do you actually put into the position? I think guys like Jack Campbell are kind of showing you that, wow, maybe we shouldn't be putting a bunch of money into our number one goalie because sometimes the backup comes in and he has a much better year. That's fair. I, but I'd have to say that it's still Anderson's cage. Everyone's acting like Jack Campbell is the second coming of Christ. Like this is a bachelor party for him right now. You can talk about the record. You can talk about the stellar stats. He's putting up Vesna-like numbers. But guys, let's be honest. This is Anderson's cage. And if, if, you're, if you're Anderson waking up today, if anything, the, the pressure just keeps alleviating off his shoulders. And, you know, when we, when we talk about down the stretch here, it's been great how we can, you know, take the load off Freddie. Game one, I still want Frederick Anderson between the pipes. I think you might be alone there, man. I don't know. It sounds like it's going to be Jack Campbell's crease moving forward. You look at the way that the players are reacting to him right now. At the end of the day, if, if he keeps winning games and he keeps making saves, it's going to be hard to take him out of the net. One interesting thing with Campbell is that he's never actually been a full starter at the NHL level before. He's never carried a starter's load. And the nagging injury that he seems to be nursing right now Makes me a little bit worried long term because if you want it to be Jack Campbell's net moving forward, can he play a full starter's low? Can he go through a full playoff series without needing Frederick Anderson to come in and spell him for a game or two? So recency bias right now though, man. Like I mean, it's but... easy to say that. It's easy like and again, if I'd agreed, we'd just end the podcast here. I mean, this is <laughs> this is this is ultimately Fred's crease. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and say Jack Jack Campbell is the starter. I'm not giving him the keys to the car. It's a 1A, 1B situation, and number two is Michael Hutchinson. But again, the guy, I believe, has to be Anderson still when he's ready to go. Yeah, it's. I, I don't know that it's going to be Anderson's net when he comes back. I think that Campbell's played his way into the starting role. And to be quite honest, I'm getting a little bit concerned now about Anderson's health. I mean, we haven't seen this guy on the ice in what's coming up on three weeks. I believe his last start was March 19th. And he hasn't been skating since then. The organization has been pretty quiet about what his injury is and what he's going through. So it's kind of difficult to speculate who's going to get the starting nod. But I think right now, like you probably have to go with the hot hand. And the hot hand is Campbell. Whether or not that means that they're splitting starts down the stretch. And I don't know what that means for game one in the playoffs. Obviously, that's subject to the coach's decision. And that could still be changed prior to game one of the playoffs. But right now, Campbell's giving the team the best chance to win, and I think that that's the guy that you have to go with between the pipes. Um, I was ready to come on here and get into some good debates. I didn't expect Jack Campbell versus Frederick Anderson to be one of them. I just assumed that that was one that a lot of people decided was over at this point. I, I, I thought I thought it was over until uh, we, we BMAC entered the It is the chat. not. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> the Anderson truthers are still out there. I respect like he's just, he's just He's just on uh, Anderson's team because they both share the same hair Red color. Red hair. There it is. Hey. Knew that was coming. 
mine's yeah. orangish. When I grow my beard out, it's super red. So, I mean, some solidarity there. I, I respect the idea of backing a large sample size with goaltending. Because, like you said, it's one of those positions where you could play a bad month and people will forget that you gave them three good years of solid performance. The other factor to consider is ever since tweaking his groin about a year and a half ago, his save percentage has been brutal. So is that something where after turning 30, after going through an injury, he's no longer the same goalie he was when he was putting up back-to-back-to-back seasons of 918 save percentage in 60-plus starts? Because that matters. That's obviously a huge body of work of of solid performance. But at the same time, if post-injury he's not the same guy – then I think that's a concern, and that's why someone like Jack Campbell coming in and winning all these games really means something. Well, if BMAC is on Team Frederick Anderson because they have the same hair color, I suppose that would make me on Team Austin Matthews because we're sharing in the same hair color and the same dirt stash. Matthews has been on an absolute heater, and you know we were talking about before whether the wrist injury is healed or not. I think it looks you know right as rain at this point. He scored his 27th goal against Montreal. That's his sixth in his last sixth of his last seven games. They scored seven goals through that stretch. Hyman also contributing with a goal and an assist. I think it's fair to say that Hyman, Matthews, and Marner are now a top three line in the league. And I say Absolutely. that when you look over the last eight games, they've combined for 28 points between the three players. BMAC, you agree? I absolutely agree. I think this is really – well, Hyman really is a fixture on that line. I mean, last he, night – He's locked in. Like, towards the end of the game, he's an absolute soldier out there. makes a, a huge block, and he looked, like, clearly roughed up afterward. I mean, usually he just kind of skates it off, but even in the handshakes, he was like, yeah, I'm good, good win, we'll get, get two points. But, man, you know, we've said this before, a versatile player, able to play up and down the lineup. And even without Nylander last night, that kind of shuffled the deck. Mikheyev back in the top six. But, yes, to answer your question, the Matthews-Marner-Hyman line, that's got to stay consistent for sure. Yeah, I've been trying to think of where it ranks among the best lines in the NHL because it's obviously up there. When you think of the best lines, I think of the McKinnon line in Colorado would probably be my number one line right now. That entire team is just, they've been playing a different sport than everyone else the last month or so. They've been unbelievable. I also think that the Deneau-Gallagher-Tatar line gets overlooked in Montreal. I think if you look at the their ability to control the game and live in the offensive zone and the, the quality of chances that they generate versus their opponents when they're on the ice, it's just completely tilted in Montreal's favor. So It's a sneaky line. Yeah, Very sneaky re- line. People don't realize how effective it is. I know that they don't have the star power of, oh, a Matthews, a Marner, even a Hyman, a guy that everyone knows is good without the puck. That Gallagher-Deneau line, it's unbelievable what they've been able to do the last two or three years. It's really flown under the radar. They face the other team's top players, and they find a way to come out on top. It's part of the reason Montreal actually kind of scares me in a playoff series because if there's one line in the NHL that I'm worried about the Matthews-Marner line going up against, it's that Deneau-Gallagher line when healthy because they're one of the best defensive lines at shutting the opposition down. Unfortunately, they lost Gallagher, so now they got to shuffle the deck big time. But... That's a big thing, yeah, with a thumb injury. So I'm not sure if he comes back 100% going into the playoffs. That's a bit of a, yeah, I, we'll see what happens there. Yeah. I think he's done. Isn't that a broken hand? He's got to yeah, be done for the he'll, year. He'll likely be back for the postseason, I would think. It's probably four to six weeks, I think, is what they're speculating. So the good news, I think, is actually it's better when it's just a clean break. Because everybody's bones basically heal the same way. And it's like four weeks, six weeks, and then you're back in the lineup. It's not like these soft tissue injuries where it, there's a lot of speculation, which what we were just talking about with Frederick Anderson, it's like nobody really knows. It's kind of you're just at the mercy of your body and how quickly you can heal. With a bone, it's at least it's like, all right, we have a timetable, and he'll be back by this point. Uh, yeah, to another player last night like who actually I think is – what surprised me has been the lack of conversation surrounding this player, and that's TJ Brody. He gets his first goal of the season for Toronto. This is 40 games into the season, and he's just scoring his first goal. Now, this is a story for me because of the lack of story that it's been in this market. Nobody seems to care that TJ Brody was not contributing anything offensively to this point in the season because of how good he's been defensively. And I think that's fairly impressive and speaks volumes to the way that he's been able to play the game and really solidify that decor that nobody really cares that he's not contributing anything offensively. Yeah, I mean, you don't 
when a guy goes how many games without getting a goal, it's just kind of crazy. You go, wait, you played 40 games for the Leafs and this was your first goal? I think you've been playing really well up until now. So Yeah, nobody cares. Maybe that goes to show that scoring goals maybe isn't uh, that important for defensemen. I, I get that it's it's great when a defenseman is blasting them from the point, but when you look at what percentage of those shots actually go in when you're shooting from the blue line, when you're shooting from the boards, those are low percentage shots. Frankly, I never really <coughs> Tyson <care> Berry. <coughs> yeah, I'd rather a defenseman not take those shots, pass it to your talented forwards who do come in and take those shots. You're talking about TJ Brody's defensive value, his ability to time those slides perfectly and prevent the pass through the middle of the ice. We see it time and time again, and it shows up in the numbers when you look at the Riley-Brody pairing. When it comes to shot differentials at 5-on-5, five five, they're, they're above water. They're slightly like, around just over 50%. But if you look at something like expected goals or scoring chances, quality chances from in tight, they're much better. They're one of the better pairings in the NHL in that regard. And I think that speaks to Riley's ability to break down defenses offensively, create some quality opportunities for but Brody's ability to take away quality opportunities against, I think, is what really makes that the, the yin yang to that pairing seems to work really well. And like you said, he doesn't even need a goal to be effective because that's not what you're looking for. You're looking for solid defensive play. When Riley jumps up ahead of the play and now you have to defend a two on one, make sure you prevent that pass through the middle of the ice. And Brody's been the best on the team in that regard. So William Nylander doesn't dress last night, and I don't really want to bury the lead, but it seems like Jack Campbell and his play, uh, Austin Matthews continues to roll, that top line continues to roll, Brody getting his first goal. It's pretty easy to gloss over the fact that William Nylander didn't dress for this game based off of COVID protocols. I guess he came into proximity with someone who had a positive test. Uh, We'll await more information on that storyline today. Now, I'm looking at the forward line grouping last night without Nylander. I got to be honest, it looked a little bit depleted at the wing position. And I'm sitting here wondering if now for Kyle Dubas, looking at what this lineup can look like, if you end up losing any one of the four players, whether it's Tavares, Matthews, Marner, or Nylander, this forward grouping is substantially, like, takes a substantial step back as far as the depth being able to fulfill those roles. Uh, what do you think, BMAC? Do you think that there's a little bit more sense of urgency now for Kyle Dubas seeing what that forward group looks like without one of their top four players in the lineup? I don't think it's that depleted. I don't think it looked that depleted last night. Uh, we were saying before we started recording Alex Barabanov back in the lineup. I think he is an excellent bottom six. And the Leafs have the luxury of, of having substantial depth, something they've carried for the last three or four years up front. I don't think it's a, a huge worry, but I mean, given given the contracts, when one of those four guys are out, yes, it looks bad because you expect them to carry them. I don't think it, it would really puzzle or phase Keith, given how we can insert guys on the fly quite effectively. I've heard a lot of people bring up the fact that if the Leafs lose one of their defensemen in the top four right now, that it throws everything out of whack. That that means you need to bring Zach Bogosian up in the lineup, or you need to move Travis Dermott higher up than you're looking forward to. If the Leafs miss one of their top four forwards, it makes it even worse because if you see the the ripple effect it has. Yeah, you have your Matthews-Marner line, but after that, what do you really have? Tavares had to do everything himself, which I think he found is a lot more difficult than when William Nylander is doing some of the puck carrying for you. It helps having Alex Galchenyuk there, who's been excellent. I'm sure we're going to talk about him at some point. He's been... I can't believe how well Galchenyuk's been playing without the puck. We know what he can do with the puck, but just the fact that he's putting an effort on the forecheck and the backcheck is... that That's something I did not expect. I get that they picked him up on waivers, and it was kind of a free ad later in the season, but I think that one might really pay dividends in the playoffs. We'll see where he ends up playing down the lineup. But getting back to the, the forward core... It has a ripple effect because if you don't have William Nylander now, okay, so where's your scoring punch on the second line? Now your third and fourth lines don't look good either. This is why everyone in Leafs Nation wants them to trade for Taylor Hall, or at least I do. I know that's he's the one on my list. Oh, you're, you're, yeah, that's uh, that's the top of your your Christmas list right now, Taylor Hall. Yeah, this is officially a pro Taylor Hall podcast now, so I'm not sure if I've, <laughs> if I've come I, on and I've totally been, ruined I've the I've been vibe. kind of anti, but I will uh, hold space for your argument here. Okay, all right, let me make the case for it. So he's shooting 2% this year. I don't think that's going to last. If you look at goals versus expected goals, he should have about six more. John Tavares is in a similar boat this year. They've both been shooting from really good locations, but the pucks aren't going in. So 
I think if you look at the quality chances he's creating as a scorer, as a passer, that's the bigger one. If you look at his ability to get in the offensive zone and create east-west passes, ones through the middle of the ice, or passes from below the goal line, we know those are high-percentage chances. He leads the league in those passes this year for manual tracking. So I think if you play Taylor Hall with talent, he'll produce. You play him in Buffalo, he won't produce. So... Well, to be fair, he was playing with Jack Eichel, and who's also having a down year as well. But you can't tell me that that player isn't giving him ample opportunity from the center position to produce points. Yeah, this guy won the heart with the Devils, and the Devils aren't exactly a star-studded lineup. Yeah, right? yeah more, more on them later because they're in uh, full full trade mode. Full but teardown. No, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see. I've seen both sides of the argument with Hall. Basically, I'd be okay with Toronto trading for him, but I don't know what the value that you're willing to give up to bring him in. Because you know Buffalo is going to be asking for first-round picks, which if it's this year or whatever, like, I don't, I don't know, I'd have to look at the Leafs draft capital. But it'll probably be end up being a late first-rounder, regardless of what you're giving up, assuming that they're going to be in the, near the top both this year and next year. Wasn't the latest report from about a week or two ago that it might not even take a first, that a second-round pick might get it done for Hall? I might be okay if you're if you're giving up a second or a third for him, and then it's basically just trying to make the money work. I don't know what you'd have to send the other way. I'm assuming that Buffalo will retain half of the salary already. That's eight mil you're taking you get, on. Well, yeah, I'd you'd have to have them retain half, half and then you take four. And then another team would be taking another portion of that salary, yeah. whether it's a Chicago or another team comes in, you throw them a draft pick. Yeah, so there's there's certainly ways to do it. You just have to get a couple other teams to play ball. Uh, the Maple Leafs actually did that with Robin Leonard last season. Yeah. They had yeah. him come in, retained a little bit of his money, and ended up uh, acquiring a pick. So not unheard of, but it'll be interesting to watch. Uh, yeah, Ian, just give me your thoughts quickly on Galchenyuk. I wasn't planning on bringing him up today because Brendan and I have kind of talked ad nauseum about his contributions on we the love with Chucky, Tavares. Ian. Yeah, we, we love we're, we're big fans of what he's been able to do. It's, it certainly seems like you are as well. Yeah, so I grade the players on a scale from 1 to 5 every night, and different players, I'm looking for different things. You know, you're going to grade a fourth liner different from how you grade Austin Matthews. So you're going to be looking for separate kind of components of a player's game when you're evaluating them. With Alex Galchenyuk, I've known over the last six, seven years that he's a talented puck carrier. He's a talented player in transition with the puck. So when I see him make a really nice play at the blue line to gain the zone, it's really cool, and I enjoy it, but I know he can do that, so that's not something I'm really looking too hard for. The biggest thing I've been looking for with him is his effort without the puck. When he's going in on a forecheck, is he putting in those extra strides to really win that battle? On the back check, is he getting back in time, or is he the one responsible for odd man rushes against? And so far, he's actually graded out super well defensively, and that's something that if you ask a Montreal Canadiens fan, hey, uh, what was Alka Chenyuk like in your time? They will not tell you that he was a forechecking expert or a backchecking expert or a defensive specialist. In Toronto, he's been getting in the shooting lanes and blocking shots. He's been winning puck battles in the corner. This isn't what I expected when they signed him. This isn't what I thought he'd be providing. But on top of that skill that he gives you in transition, he's also providing some defensive value. I really like what the Leafs are getting from Galchenyuk. I don't think he's going to last in their top six after they make that trade for a forward. But I do think he's someone that can still contribute even in the bottom half of the lineup, considering what he's done away from the puck. That'll be interesting to watch from Sheldon Keefe, how he rearranges the line based off of, I think we can all run under the assumption at this point that Dubis is certainly going to add someone that can contribute in the top six. So it'll be interesting to see how he shuffles the deck because like Galchenyuk's looked pretty good on the wing with Tavares and Marner, but it remains to be seen if he can contribute in a bottom six role. Part of the reason that we've highlighted that he's been so successful, and Pierre Lebrun brought this up on Overdrive, is that the Leafs basically put him in his natural habitat which is with other skill players on a top line where he's expected to play in a more offensive-minded role. And although he has been able to contribute as well in other areas of the game as you've cited, Ian, part of the reason why he was having such difficulty in Pittsburgh and Arizona and Ottawa or wherever the hell else he's playing over the last little while. Half the league. Yeah, exactly. We, we were just actually talking Brendan McCarthy called him a suitcase right before he came to Toronto as he uh, got shipped out of Ottawa to Carolina. Ultimately, he didn't end up even taking the flight. Six teams in the last, what, six years? 
So yeah, no, it makes sense. But yeah, he certainly was, and you know the list continues to add, or he continues to add to that list. Rather, it just remains to be seen if he can contribute consistently in a bottom six role and not playing with those top two players. But I guess uh, we'll just have to wait and see what Kyle Dubas does. Uh, one he thing I want good to with Jason Ooh, Spezza, go ahead. If, if you don't mind me, just quickly jump. Yeah, in yeah, there. of course. He played with Jason Spezza one game, and they looked really good together. So that's something I could see maybe as a sheltered offensive role that you give some more offensive uh, zone starts to. You give him a bit of talent down there. The other option I saw someone bring up the other day is what if you tried out an engvall Mikheyev pairing with Alex Galchenyuk? They provide the defense. He provides some of the puck carrying and transition ability. Maybe it doesn't work because maybe you want those to be guys who are going up against the other team's better players and you don't trust Galchenyuk in that situation. But I thought it was an interesting kind of way of balancing the lines between the Engvall Mikheyev, who are clearly your long athletic. They're kind of like, uh, I'm thinking in basketball, it's like your OG and your Siakam just defensively just swarming guys with their long limbs. And then no when fair. they do poke the puck free, you have Alex Galchenyuk there to do some stuff with the puck in open space as kind of the main transporter on the line. It's something they could test out, but you definitely have ways that you can use Galchenyuk, whether it's on that Tavares-Nylander line, you can throw him on a Spezza line. I'd like to see what he could do on that Mikheyev-Engvall pairing because that's an interesting way to see, ooh, if you can do that, it's another look that you can throw out there in the playoffs. Really like Kerfoot centering Jumbo Joe and Jason Spezza. That third line has been pretty formidable for the Maple Leafs. I mean, initially you think, okay, Kerfoot, you're, you're centering two like two known dinosaurs. renowned vets like well <laughs> you know, prolific careers whatever yeah but i think they've meshed really well and obviously kerfoot kind of been the, the scapegoat of this team in terms of trade bait but also on mckayev uh quickly ian this guy can't finish i mean some some of these some of these games i mean last night could have been four three five three because of mckayev now he did assist on matthew's opening marker granted there was a line change and everything but he set it up I think you almost have to assume that he should be part of a package deal, no? So I can understand the frustrations with him not finishing. What's weird is that he was finishing last year, and even though he never had the best shot or the greatest hands, he was producing last year at a pretty solid clip. This year, he's generating the chances, especially on the penalty kill. You can pencil him in for a 2-1-1 every game on the penalty kill. Him and Kerfoot just seem to find a way to do that every time and not score ever. For whatever reason, McKayev will generate the 2-1-1. <laughs> yeah. He'll, He'll do in, everything oh, right, but just a routine shot and, then and a routine out, save. I tweeted out the, the other night, when it's McKayev on the breakaway, I just assume it's not a goal. Just walk away from your TV. Scroll, it's not scroll going through in. your Twitter timeline. Go crack yourself a beer. You just you uh, yeah, don't need to. I, yeah. I think uh, Nick Albergo was saying on um, the Leafs post game show that he he's like Mikhail Granlin's two point like great separation and just cannot finish on Michael a breakaway. Grabner, no matter what. Michael, Michael Grabner, Grabner, yeah, sorry. I was going to say me. Mikhail Granlin could be a also a suitcase. For, yeah, pardon me, Grand, Granlin. If Granlin's on the mind, all the trade talk. Yeah, Grab Grabner two point uh, but here's the thing with Mikheyev. I, I think you want to keep him around because of the things he provides for you without the puck. I think this team has so many talented offensive players. You know, Matthews, Tavares, Marner, Nylander. How many guys do they have that you trust to hold a lead in the third period? You don't trust Jason Spezza to do that for you. As much as we love Alex Galchenyuk, I don't think you're throwing him over the boards with five minutes left when you're holding a one-goal lead in the playoffs. Engvall is a guy that you can do that with. Mikheyev's a guy you can do that with. So even though he's not producing and it's super frustrating when he cuts to the net and he can't seem to get the puck up and get it over the pad when he's trying to tuck it, he still provides that defensive value. It's, it's mind-numbing. It's so frustrating. I, I get it. I get it, man. I'm, I'm grading these games too. Like, I'm trying to find a way to say, okay, Eng, like, this is the time. This is going to be the two-on-one where you break through and I get to show the clip and I get to cheer for you, but... Maybe he's yeah. just destined to never score a penalty kill goal, and that's okay because he still provides value in other ways. Yeah, no, I agree. I've uh, I've compared him to a runaway train in the past where he's just got tremendous top-end speed, gets separation, but there's no control there. Once he gets in tight on the net, he's just got the old stone hands. Let's move to around the league. So no surprises here that's the McDavid dry side show again in Edmonton. I don't know if you guys saw this, but the Oilers beat Ottawa 4-2, and this is what the score sheet looked like for the Oilers. Dry sidle from McDavid, dry sidle from McDavid, McDavid from dry sidle, dry sidle from McDavid. 
if the Oilers were playing three on three consistently, like if they had, like, let's say the NHL for some reason was just like, you know, we're just going to do three on three. The Oilers would be the cup champs, like a lock for the cup champs for the next like three to five years. They'd be a dynasty because these two players like are just absolutely outstanding and carry the team on a night in night out basis. BMAC. They do. I think the play-by-play announcer needs a pitcher of water. The amount of times he's just saying McDavid to Drysdale, it's just—it's just routine <laughs> at this point, man. It yeah. really is. They're just taking over the league, and it's—it's it's crazy to watch. I mean, I'll admit, I, I don't typically watch Edmonton Oilers games start to finish, but even when you're, you're, you know, taking it in for a brief window and not just looking at the highlight pack, man, it's just a whole—it's a whole different experience. Like they just—they just run the team. The offense runs through them. And when they're not going, like, good luck. Because I don't think Kyle Turris is going to find the back of the net. <laughs> not unless Adam Larson takes a slap shot right at him. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So yeah, Just as disaster. a fan of hockey, watching those two is something else. The plays that they can make off the rush. Yeah. One player I've really been impressed with is uh, Jesse Pugliarvi this year. I think he's helped kind of solidify their top yep. six. Because in the past, they've been playing Zach Cassian alongside Connor McDavid. And I think it's just such a waste of McDavid's talents to be passing the puck to him or McDavid's trying to get the puck and Zach Cassian's flipping it off the glass and out. Now the other team has it and, or you're trying to break the puck in and create something off the rush and Zach Cassian's dumping it in. And now the other team picks it up zone exit the other way. And McDavid's thinking, crap, I just get me the puck, put the puck on my stick and I'll do something with it. Playing with Zach Cassian the last couple of years, he hasn't had the puck as much with Jesse Pugliarvi. If you look at his defensive numbers, he's among the leaders in the league at preventing quality chances against. He's winning puck battles. He's skating the puck up the ice with possession. He's obviously playing with a McDavid and or a dry saddle that tends to help. But I think having a complimentary piece beside him this year, finally, that's what we've been waiting for in Edmonton. They don't have enough wingers to actually help out McDavid and dry saddle. Finally, Jesse Pugliarvi has developed into the player that I think we all saw at the World Juniors back in the day. And I think it's really helping McDavid and Drysaddle look like the players they should be, which is 200-foot monsters. Last year, they were terrible defensively. This year, I think <laughs> Jesse Pauliarvi's come in and helped them in that regard, and it's made them one of the most dangerous lines in the league, probably the most dangerous. Fair point. Speaking of a 200-foot monster, Blake Wheeler expected to miss the five-game road trip for the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, concussion-like symptoms. He basically took an elbow on Monday night against Ottawa. This is really going to hurt the Jets. Uh, aside from the fact that he's their captain, he really is one of the guys that stirs the drink, both on the offensive end and the, with his ability to play the two-way game, BMAC. Two uh, key players on Canadian teams both uh, suffering. Bit. I mean, we don't know how, how bad this Wheeler injury is going to be, but well, Gallagher it's a out. right? It could be. Yeah, We've seen this drag out for months, weeks, right. months before in the past. I mean, you hope all the best, but... It's one of those injuries that there's not a specific timetable, and you have to be really careful with it. Yeah, like when you think Montreal, you think Gallagher, he's the heartbeat of that team, and Blake Wheeler is the heartbeat of, of the Winnipeg Jets. He's a stud out there and obviously a great captain. So I'm not going to try and guess how long the, this injury will last, but if it's significant or, or kind of continues into the playoffs, which it could because it's a head injury, then that's a significant, significant blow to the Winnipeg Jets. I just need to bring something up. You said that Blake Wheeler is great defensively. I yeah, decent 200-foot player. You, you don't like him? I disagree in the last couple of years. I don't know. Him and Mark Shifley, whenever they're on the ice, they seem to they give up so many chances against, and it happens year after year. So I, Some of it maybe you can blame Paul Maurice and the system because in Winnipeg, weirdly, they've always given up more shots and chances than you would expect given the talent on their roster. I, I get that they don't have the defense this year. They haven't had defense the last couple of years ever since – Tobias Enstrom left, that decor hasn't really been the same. But, man, I don't know. Blake Wheeler, he still puts up points. But if you look at his 200-foot impact in terms of five-on-five and the shots and the chances and the expected goals that they give up when he's on the ice, he just hasn't been the same player in the last couple of years. Fair point. Uh, Boone Jenner expected to miss the rest of the season for the Columbus Blue Jackets. This is kind of a hit for Yarmo Kekalainen as Jenner was one of those players that – was expected to be shopped at the trade deadline for Columbus. He's going to be out four to six weeks, um, likely could miss part of the playoff run. What do you make of Jenner's injury for the Jackets? Uh, basically, their season's over, but certainly this has to hurt them as they can't acquire assets for the future by moving a player who is rumored to be on the market. 
Yeah, it's obviously not great for them. This is going to make Nick Felino their main piece, I'd imagine, at the trade deadline. He's someone that I actually kind of like for the Leafs. If they're not going to acquire my man Taylor Hall, the guy that you guys <laughs> yeah. hate and me, the analytics nerd, <laughs> loves. So if, if, let's say, Taylor Hall gets traded to Colorado or Boston or insert team, now, now the Leafs are looking, okay, who's next on our list? It's obviously not Kyle Palmieri because, as we're going to discuss later, he did get moved. So who's next on your list? Well, we're starting to run out of names here because I'm assuming Matthias Ekholm isn't high on your list because he's a defenseman. You're looking for the next good best forward on your list. So to me, it's between Michael Granlund and Nick Foligno. And you're, you'd be getting different things from both players. Michael Granlund, better passer, better playmaker, a bit more versatility in that you can play him in your top six with your skilled players and you can play him on a third line to center that third line to give you some uh an actual good center there instead of alex kerfoot <laughs> yeah uh, fair. But nick, what nick felina would provide you with is something that they're missing right now it's those elements that, that uh, everyone and, and their mothers is, is looking for when they watch this leafs team they go oh they need a bit more grit they need a bit more you know push in front of the net they need a bit more push in the corners and as, as you know, I get frustrated when I hear the Brian Burks of the world always emphasizing, oh, you got to add grit, you got to add toughness, you got to add pugnacity, and then you're bringing in Colt Norris, and it doesn't help you win. But Nick Foligno, if you look at his impact on scoring chances and preventing quality chances against, he's actually one of those gritty players who has a positive impact on the game. He's one of those guys that analytics nerds love and the true diehard traditional fans love. So yeah. if you're not going to get my man Taylor Hall, I think Nick Foligno is second on my, uh, my wish list for the Leafs. Kind of a big playoff guy. He gives me the playoff guy feels. Just Drove what, Toronto he nuts what, last yeah, year. He knows what, he, what it takes to win in the big games. He's obviously a savvy veteran, worn the C. Anytime you can acquire somebody who's worn the C for any team, that's going to obviously add leadership value in your locker room. Do you remember and when Felino, he was checking said, Crosby in that one series when he was given the assignment of shadowing him that entire series? And he did such a good job. It reminded me of Nazem Kadri on Connor McDavid that one game. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Where you're just giving him fits in overtime. Didn't Kadri score the OT winner in that one as well? I yeah, believe. Yeah, there was I'm, a I'm, controversy. I'm, I'm, like, oh, was it interference? Was it a penalty? But eh, it's hockey. You let it go. Yeah, especially in three on three, I feel like they let stuff go a lot of the time. Uh, we brought up uh, Paul Mary before. Uh, basically, he was one of the top trade pieces. Uh, he's been moved. Him and Zajac get moved. From the to the Islanders rather from the Devils, uh, Devils get a couple draft pick or send a, get a couple draft picks in return, a couple prospects. We all knew that Lou Lamorello was going to pull the trigger, particularly when Anders Lee went down and basically left him with a boatload of cap space because of the LTIR. So no surprise that Palmieri and Zajac both get moved to the Islanders. Um, and also no surprise that Kyle Palmieri had to shave his beard upon arrival to a team uh, that's governed by Lou Lamorella. Absolutely mandatory. And I guess I'll throw in my tweet of the day here <laughs> because uh, the Islanders Twitter confirming game day update Palmieri and Zajac will play tonight against the Flyers. I'd assume they'd have to. I mean, I know it's close. I guess they're coming from Newark, but I thought they, they wouldn't play till I don't know, the weekend or next week, but they're the, inserted right close. away. That's about as close as you can get as yeah. far as the trade is concerned. That's from true. like the Coliseum on the islands to uh, like Newark, New Jersey. It's basically just like a quick trip across the bridge, and there you are. But man, I mean, the Islanders like they're coming back with a vengeance. They obviously have Barzell, Nelson, Pajot down the middle. You add Zajac in there somewhere, and then Kyle Palmieri is bona fide top six. I mean, they they are they're gonna look another scary big good. playoff guy, and and especially guys in a, in a in a brutal brutal bloodbath in the, the mass mutual east you, you got to load up against <laughs> against teams yeah. like boston and washington so Club, yeah. the islanders are for real yeah they're one of the most structured teams in the nhl probably the best structured defensively in their own end you look at their ability to take away the middle of the ice if if they get their defense set if, if you don't capitalize on a rush chance against them you're dead you're not going to score on them on the cycle you're going to need a really good bounce you're going to need to get the puck luck that night because the system that Barry Trotz has put in there and everyone's buying into it. Their top pairing of Pellick and Pulock has been unbelievable this year. We're talking about underrated uh, forward lines. They're probably the most underrated defensive pairing in the NHL. They deserve some legitimate Norris consideration for what they're doing at 5-5 five and five right now. So you add some talented forwards to this group and Kyle Palmieri who can get you some goals. 
Travis Zajac, I think it's way past his prime, but maybe he's someone whose defensive prowess can help you, particularly in a Barry Trotz system. I was wondering if they were going to be one of the teams that would be in on Taylor Hall because I thought they might have needed another puck transporter other than Matt Barzell. But throwing in a, a top six goal scorer and throwing in someone who has some defensive value, it certainly never hurts. And Barry Trotz has shown that you throw anyone into that system, he'll find a way to make it work and get the team positive results. So I'm, I'm never going to throw Pellick and Pollock into the Norris conversation. I think they kind of bury their defense and, and are heavy up front. But, I mean... Not they're they're solid production for your they're, liking, I guess. I, I know they're, they're solid on the back end, but let's did, not did, pump their tires too much. I think I'm, maybe I'm getting a bit carried away saying Norris consideration because <laughs> they're not in the same tier as, let's say, I'm trying to think who's high on the list this year. Adam Fox, Kel McCarr, Victor Hedman. Yeah, Hedman all yeah. The, if all anything, the, Pollock's the had a bit suspects. of a down year compared to last year. He was much better, but I don't know. I think he's been awesome this year. I think. You look at the the shots, the chances when he's on the ice at five and five. They're just they're living in the offensive zone, and when they're in the defensive zone, when they're defending against the cycle, they don't give up anything in the middle. It's all shots from the outside. It's pretty impressive. This is why we brought Ian on for uh, <laughs> New York Islanders defense debates, Winnipeg <laughs> forward debates. This is why uh, this is uh, the episode of Not Another Getting Leaf. Getting here. I've got tons of yeah. Sam Gerrard content if you're interested. But that's next week, man. Yeah, yeah. Next that that that's uh what was the Habs podcast called on our network? I can't even recall. Anyways, uh, we'll just wrap this up quickly. I don't want to get too far into this as we touch on Monday. I basically, just want to update the story before we go to the bar. Uh, the number is twenty one for the amount of Canucks players who have tested positive for COVID-19, including four members of the staff. I'm just going to leave this there because I think everybody's like got COVID, serious COVID fatigue. I basically just wanted to update the story for the listeners and we can move on to the library bar. All right, Ian, I think we've had you on in the past, and so you know the rules. Uh, I got pick somebody who's at the bar and drinking. Al's brother kind of went off the book on Monday for who he chose. Yeah, he was, uh, and who, who did he end up choosing? He chose uh, Joe, Joe Rogan. Rogan? For, yeah, just because he's <laughs> I like, I would like to grab a drink with Joe, with Joe Rogan. Can't really yeah. argue with that. Uh, but let's start with BMAC. Who, who you got at the bar this week? I'm going to go with Akil Badu, outfielder for the Detroit Tigers. And, man, he's had quite the start. First MLB at bat, hits a dinger. Second game, hits a grand slam. Third game, walk-off single. Yesterday, first career RBI triple. He's been an absolute stud. He's going to come back down to earth, but man, the Tigers, which can be kind of boring to watch sometimes. I don't know how big of a baseball uh, fan you guys both are, but the Tigers got a gem in Akil Badu, and this is just the beginning for the kid. I'm going to go with uh, Jesperi Kokoniemi. He actually ended up getting bumped up off of the fourth line due to the injury from Brendan Gallagher. But basically, with the addition of Eric Stahl, this bumped him from... You know, top tier, you know, player who some Habs analysts said were he was going to be more valuable to Montreal than Austin Matthews was to the Leafs. Ha! That's what I say to that. But he's he's basically fighting for his life right now and fighting to be a relevant center on Montreal. I know he's young. I know he needs time to develop. But this is a wake-up call for Kokoniemi getting bumped down to the fourth line on something that could be if he can't realize his talent. I'm going to go to my tweet of the day here. Uh, it's from our friend of the show, Ross Levitan, at Ross Levitan. Habs fans will look you with look at you with a straight face and defend taking Esperi Kokoniemi over Brady Kachuk in the 2018 draft. Just another reason you simply can't trust them. I had this, I was tweeting this out from the Leafs pod account last night. That I am so happy that Mark Bergevin passed on Brady Kachuk because although the the Leafs still have to see him in a Sens uniform, I would hate it so much more if that guy was buzzing around with the Montreal C on his chest, just causing Gallagher to crap up. Oh. Yeah, it, it would have been a total disaster. So hashtag thank you, Mark Bergevin, for passing on Brady Kachuk. 
Also passed on Quinn Hughes. Could you imagine him playing with Shea Weber? What that pairing My would goodness. look like? Yeah, like that's that's true. If that skill sets, because basically the problem with Hughes is like it's been well well touted this year that he's a liability defensively, and they basically got rid of his partner Chris Tanev. He goes and signs with the Flames, and all of a sudden he looks lost out there, still putting up tremendous offensive numbers. But if he had a solid defensive defensive defenseman partner such as Shea Weber, oh. It would be uh take take the leash off that kid and just, just let him let him go. Match made in heaven, right? Send it's it. the yin and yeah. the yang. It's exactly yeah. what you're looking for. All right. I am taking a, a Joe to the bar. I am going to be taking Joe Thornton to the bar. I'm going to be buying him many beers so that he's forced to take a couple nights off because he deserves it. <laughs> he's 41 years old. He certainly he does. He needs a night off. Give the man a night off. Let him spend some time with his family. I know we're in COVID. I know that he's a $700,000 player. And because he's in the lineup, they get to accrue extra cap space until April 12th. And I know that Brandon Pridham knows this because otherwise I'd imagine that Joe Thornton would have been rested at some point over the last month or so. It's kind of clear that he's going through the motions a bit in the middle of the season here. So I'm going to take him out to the library bar, even though I think bars are closed right now. We'll take him out to a patio bar, maybe after bars open up. Load get management. Joe a bunch Give him of the Kawhi Leonard treatment. <laughs> get him a corned beef nice sandwich, out. too, while you're at it. Oh, I love Jumbo Joe. Big fan of what he did earlier in the year. I, I want him to be successful on this team, which is why I think he could use some rest. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think that probably is the plan for Kyle Dubas and company down the stretch. Just plug some of the younger guys into the lineup. Give him, even if it's you know one game on, one game off, give him a couple of games in the press box. Whatever you need to do to get him rested before the postseason. Because it's pretty clear at this point, Toronto looks like they're going to be cruising into first place in the division. Not that there's a huge advantage anyway, since there likely won't be any fans in the stands by the time the playoffs start, especially in Canada. So there's really no benefit in even trying to burn out some of these older vet players down the stretch to acquire better positioning. Gentlemen, you got anything going on for the rest of the day? Where are you thinking? Well, I was going to ask you guys quickly, in honor of Masters weekend, your appetizer, entree, dessert for your first meal when you arrive. Quickly, off the top of your head. Ian. See, I've been golfing with my dad, at least that's the one thing we did in quarantine last year that we got to spend a bit more time together. So that's the one thing I'll remember about 2020 is that even though it was the worst year ever, I got to work on my golf game a bit and I still suck. So when I compare myself <laughs> to some of these guys at the Masters, I go, man, this is brutal. Well, so what was yeah, the question? What what's my, my what meal? For a snack? My, yeah, the snack food. And, Appetizer, yeah. entree, dessert for your first meal. You just arrived at Augusta. I, I need they, they got to sell beer there, right? I feel like I would need to I'd you know, assume get so. the juices. Yeah, you can have whatever beers be you want. You can have Budweiser's, Coors Light. Keep in mind that usually somebody, like whoever wins the Masters, has to pick up the tab. I think that's who decides what the what the appetizers or whatever are going to be. Uh, I'm going to go with like a little like shroop, sh- Cajun shrimp skewer as the appetizer. Ooh, yeah, I, I like that. Like a little fresh lemon juice on top. That's a nice, fairly light. Um, we're going to go with the fil- bacon-wrapped filet mignon with side of Brussels sprouts and mashed potatoes as the main. Uh, oh, just a God. nice light nice, nice light Jeez. main before you go out to have to play around a golf the next day. Uh, for the desserts, I'm going to go with a double chocolate cake with a scoop of vanilla ice cream. Money. I chocolate think on chocolate. Yeah, just, yeah, got to keep it simple, you know? I'm gonna go with bacon wrapped scallops to start things off. You gotta have the, something with the bacon shrimp sauce. Yeah, the shrimp sauce too. That that's money. Damn. A little pr- prime rib Yorkshire pudding and some mashed potatoes with the gravy like in the middle. So it's a the little prime like, rib. Bowl. I like that. Yeah. And then for dessert, maybe like red. I don't usually eat dessert. I'm not being. I'm not just saying that because like, we're recording. I don't usually eat dessert. I used to also be like over 250 pounds, so I've tried to cut that back. But I treat myself because <laughs> I'm at Augusta, so it'd probably be red velvet cake because that stuff's bomb. Yeah, got to sneak one in while you're in Augusta. I'm thinking, have you ever asked someone, hey, what would your last meal be? You know, you're on death row. That's basically what we're asking you right now. I'm thinking, okay, all (laughs) right, so blueberry pancakes, we're going with bacon and eggs, we're thinking steak. No, that's not your last meal. That's that's not your last meal. That's the meal that you get when you end up at a diner at 2.30 in the morning after getting absolutely And that's all they have left. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you get two blueberry pancakes with the side of bacon and two sunny-side-up eggs. You put them on top of the pancakes and then pour syrup on the whole thing. 
Sometimes I have a smoothie later. with it. That's one of my suggestions. Wash it down. I don't know. It works for me. So it doesn't work for some people. I don't know. But uh, let's let's see. What would my meal be? I'm at Augusta. I'm feeling a steak sandwich. I could go for a steak Ooh. sandwich. Caramelized uh, onions in there, maybe? Oh, that does sound good. Instead just, of instead just helping out a friend. The, just helping out a friend. You just want to be at the ACC <laughs> going instead for the prime rib fries, sandwich. Instead of regular fries, we are going to go with uh, those nice, tasty sweet potato fries. Nice. My favorite. Yeah, got to get some of that chipotle mayo to dip them in. And yeah, you need the chipotle mayo with the sweet potato fries, certainly. And I, I need a beer. Whatever they've got on tap, I'm not, I'm not uh, too, too picky when it comes to beer. And you're, you're scratching dessert? Uh, normally, I'm a healthy scratch for dessert, but again, like you said, we're in Augusta, <laughs> so give me your tri- whatever triple fudge, fudge brownie you've got, some chocolate My sauce man. on top. That sounds good to me. That's what I'm saying. Love Load it. up the chocolate. I'm more Love of an appetizer it. guy myself. Savory first. Yeah. Sweet. Sweet doesn't need to be there. No. I'd rather. I'd much rather just have a cleansing ale. At the or end just of my straight meal. up appetizers. Like I can just roll with appetizers all night. Oh yeah. Just, like, all night appetizers. Yeah. Get a few pints going. Sounds like yeah. a good time. Yeah. Hey, listen. We'll uh, we'll fire that up once uh, we're allowed to again. Once we get the all clear. Three of us will definitely meet up for a pint at the library bar we've been uh, talking about for a long time, but it seems like we this can keeps getting kicked down the road. Might have Ian, to wait till th- after the Leafs win a cup at this point. Jeez. Oh, and hopefully that'll be in uh, I don't know July, August. I was say how many months away is that? Yeah, like. plan the parade. It's coming soon. Not too, not too far away. I don't even know when the playoffs start at this point. It's like June, yeah, isn't it? It's just in the, the one May. year the Leafs win the cup will be when we can't have a parade for it. That's just the way that life's gonna work. Yeah, yeah. They, we can have a boat parade on Lake Ontario. Yeah, so Matthews will be like Brady, just wasted. Someone, Jack Campbell will be carrying him home. We'll all be yeah. six feet apart from each other wearing <laughs> masks. It, it, it'll, there's no way that would actually work. Yeah, you'll have to spread all, take the parade all the way up to Pickering. All the way up to Pickering, if that's the case, it'll be a bigger disaster than the Raptors parade. Hey, Ian, thanks for taking the time today and joining us at Ian Graffs on Twitter. Let, let the listeners know where they can find your work at the moment. Yeah, yeah. So like you said, at Ian Graff on Twitter, I've been putting out the uh, postgame uh, Leafs report cards at Maple Leaf Hot Stove. If you're looking for it, you can just follow me on Twitter. I usually put out the link there. You can Google Ian Tullock report cards. I'm sure it'll show up. I try to grade every player on a scale from one to five. I do it after every Leafs game. I've been doing it for the last couple of years. Why? Become, because I'm a masochist. Because I'm a Leafs fan <laughs> who's been watching this team for a long time. Because you like staying up till. 4 a.m. when they're on the West Coast. I love trying to find notes on a third or fourth line player that I didn't really notice who played about 10 minutes. It's my favorite thing to do in life, so it's what I've been doing for the last couple of years. Okay, I want a breakdown story next time we talk on Alex Barabanov. Like, oh my, a full God, story on the kid. How much like time did you ready? back when he played. <laughs> it's just, I'm trying to make notes. I'm like, what did you do? I'm like, I think he touched the puck like, yeah. once. <laughs> I think he had a shift. He, he looked okay in that eight minutes, 29 seconds of ice time. I'm, for Bear Banov, I put in, he picked up an assist, and I don't think he completed a pass in the offensive zone. So, yeah, that's right. He that, did get an assist on the Brody goal. And he didn't even complete the pass. It was a broken play. So there you yeah. go. Thanks for listening to episode 37 of Not Another Least Podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. Throw, throw us a follow on Twitter, at Ken Stapon, at McCarthy 95 at LeafsPod, at HockeyPodNet. And we'll catch you next time.